Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. This is episode two, and this episode is called Why Tiffany Bloom Though. And I am so very excited as one of her dear friends for you to get to know Tiffany, for the things that she offers to this world, for the powerhouse that she is. She's got so much sass, so much spunk, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear from her. And these next couple of episodes, we're just going to be sharing um, stories with you. We're going to tell you a little bit more about who we are and some of the things that we've gone through to get to the place that we are right now so that you can... Um, feel like you're not alone so that you can feel like you have friends (laughs) who understand you who are going through the same things that you are and if you're in the middle of a battle or you've overcome something in your life we want to be able to to walk alongside you as you do that as you come out on the other side Um, and I'm so excited for you to hear Tiffany's story because she is amazing so Tiffany take us away Yes. Well, let me tell you a little bit what about how I spend my days. Um, as you previously heard in the last episode, um, I have two little boys and I'm married. I have been married nine years um, with my husband for 10, uh, dating for 10, and um, live in the Seattle area. Um, was raised mostly in the Seattle area. Um, and I get to write. I am an author. I have my uh, third and fourth title coming out February of 2019. Um, and that was always a dream. I mean, it's uh, huge. It's like, it's can we just huge. have a moment that you it's, are a published writer, that you are writing full time? Like, that's oh, incredible. It's, <laughs> it's so sweet. It's, it's, even as I sit down to start, I can't, I, I always remind myself, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe, um, that my dream is also my labor. Hmm. Um, uh, I also, uh, host a women's gathering called SIP. And we have women from all over the Pacific Northwest who gather and we drink velvety wine and we have beautiful food created by um, a head chef of the restaurant where we meet. Um, and it's been really beautiful. It started out with uh, just about 12 gals um, uh, who I invited to just come have Bible study and I felt a conviction that I wasn't supposed to host this Bible study at my house. So on a busy night at the restaurant, I approached my friend who owns it and is also the executive chef and said, could we meet here? Um, as quick as it came into my mind, that next, th- on that third second, I approached him and, and asked if we could do that. And he was like, oh, I'll make you a key. Totally. Um, and we've been doing that for three years. And um, we served over 400 women last year who came wow. to Bible study. Are you serious? 12 to yes. 400. Like, yes. What? It's the Lord. I mean, truly. And we really are in my invitation to women was if you've never um, considered pursuing Jesus, I double dog dare you to come and gather and be known and seen and heard for who mm-hmm. you are. You don't have to come perfect to the table, but there's a place for you here yeah. until we sold out. And then there was definitely not a place for that. <laughs> There's a place for you on our waiting list. The place for you on our waiting list. Um, (laughs) um, And it's been a really beautiful thing. So that's really how I spend my days is loving babies and um, um, writing messages, hosting SIP. um, Traveling. Yep, I get the opportunity to travel the world and speak and share with women. And um, this is is always what I wanted to do. But uh, that was all born out of um, that, that message, this this. My, my linchpin, if you will, all was born um, 
out of such brokenness. Mm-hmm. I was abandoned um, at birth um, by a young woman in Delhi, India, and became one of more than 25 million orphans in the mid 80s um, in India. And I was adopted um, right before I was two to the States, and I grew up in a um, predominantly white community. Um, and I remember my earliest memory really coming to grips with who I am and all that I had lost. I was not quite five years old, and I remember my pigtails, and I was my tears were dripping into this plastic pink cup. And I just remember thinking, why would my mom not want me? Mm. Um, uh, my parents are white, my brothers are white, um, only one adopted in my family. And I just remember thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I do that was so bad that was worth her giving me up? Hmm. And let alone thinking about a dad who gave me up, I just couldn't understand why she would. And so, and I didn't feel safe enough to talk about those feelings with the people around me. Um, And so I really went underground. I really went underground with these feelings of just deep shame. And when you are abandoned in your most vulnerable moment, which is birth, <laughs> um, it really, hmm. uh, really messes with your head, man. Really messes with your head and your understanding of a healthy self, your understanding of your identity and your worth and your value. Um, so growing up, I not only um, ached over the lack of answers surrounding my beginning, I also... Um, felt deeply shameful because of the color of my skin. Um, mm-hmm. I went to a school. There was n- not one other person of color. Not one, actually. Not That's one. Uh, un- kindergarten through sixth grade. And so I was highly hyper aware that I was brown. I remember I would, uh, in the summertime, we would take a uh, annual family camp down to Southern California. And I would wear long sleeves outside so I wouldn't get darker. Wow. I was so scared of tanning. And I would get so ashamed and get so angry and frustrated with myself at seven years old when I would see tan lines around my ankles or around my wrists because I was, I knew I was getting darker. Um, and I, I just convinced myself and due to the just societal standards that we have in America, that I was a deviation from the standard Mm. and I was second best. And so I was dealing with these deep abandonment wounds and also feeling so out of place and did not have the words of, of course you don't at seven right. years old, to explain, right. I feel different, I don't feel accepted, um, I don't feel like my story is welcome, um, let alone just the normal stuff that any adopted or foster kid might struggle with in school of, you know, when you do your family tree or anything like that. Mm. Um, so growing up, I would say I didn't validate my pain. I didn't know how to validate my pain. I didn't have people around me that I felt like I could communicate with who would validate my pain. So I just, I just had shame that I, and I wore it tight like a corset. There was just no way to get it off. I didn't know what to do. I felt trapped in my own body, (laughs) honestly, and trapped in my own mind with it. Um, uh, growing up, um, that really carried over into my early twenties. Um, and I found the Lord in middle school. And when I found Jesus, it was like, I, I will give my whole life to this. I will give every ounce of who I am to following him because what I had to exchange was such a, a such a, a shame and, and a loneliness. And, um, he really became my, my everything. I was the president of the Christian club in both middle school and high school. Um, 
was a student leader in my youth ministry, and that place was my refuge. It changed my life. Um, mm. I'm really a big believer in good youth ministry, not hype, not a show, but true discipleship. It, I was surrounded by healthy people. Um, I would, uh, <laughs> I was, I was a cheerleader in high school. And after cheer practice, you go ahead and laugh, sister. That's what makes you feel good. That's what helps you sleep at night. I just want to, I want to let our readers, I mean, our listeners know that they're not alone. So I wanted to have a giggle about you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But after cheer practice, I would drive over to the church that I attended um, in my 1986 Chevy truck that had nine miles a gallon. I would drive over to the church. It was like electric urine, yellow color. It was real awful. It's beautiful. It was like a a Department of Transportation truck without the decal on the side, basically. They had to sit on like a foam mat to be able to see over the steering wheel. I just want people to have a visual, really. Um, And I would drive over to the church and fold bulletins for the Sunday service because I just loved being there. The house Mm. of God was really a safe place for me. Why? Because there was safe people there. Um, So uh, that was really, it really got, I really got my legs under me um, because I had some really beautiful people in my life speaking truth and honesty and love. But I still held those deep, deep, dark um, feelings of shame. And I didn't really open the lid on those just because I didn't know what to do if I did open the lid. I didn't know how to walk down a path of healing and wholeness, um, you know, at 15, 16, 17, 18. So I found the Lord, but I still, you know, I held on to the stuff that I didn't know if I could trust him with. And I didn't know honestly what to do with it truly. Um, And uh, so when I was 21, I had the opportunity to lead, um, in a past life, I was a pastor at a large church here in the Pacific Northwest, and um, I had the opportunity to lead a um, group of doctors and medical professionals um, to Calcutta, and so went over there, and I also had an opportunity to speak at a women's conference while I was there, Um, so that was really beautiful, so powerful to be in India. It was my first time back to India um, to be with women and to that for that to be my focus on loving them and pouring into them and sharing, you know, my time with them. So it was really, really beautiful, but I was able to extend my stay. Um, and the group, we all went to Agra, um, which is where the Taj Mahal is. And, um, and Agra is, uh, just a drive from Delhi. So not too far. So, um, everybody on the team went sightseeing, but my very dear friend, she is English. I did a, a year abroad, um, a gap year, um, living in London, speaking in, traveling in public schools, giving assemblies, and there's no separation of church or state. So I was able to um, present the gospel. Really, really cool year. But anyway, I'd met a very close friend at that time. And so she had um, come with me to have this experience. She went to India and then uh, went to Calcutta and then also traveled up to Delhi with me. So we, uh, before we went, I had contacted the orphanage where my mother had left me. And I was able to go and take a visit. Wow. So I went up there and you can imagine just the emotions. You're ready for answers to all your questions, right? You're ready for, um, it's this, it's this pilgrimage, if you will, to go back to the beginning. And so, um, we walked in, um, with, uh, you know, with at this point, 19 years worth of baggage, (laughs) 19 years Mm. worth of questions, 19 years wishing I had a different story. Wow. And um, walked into this orphanage, and it was very, very quiet. And it was about a, it's a five-story uh, building in Delhi. Um, and, it, and I remember just that all I could hear was the clap of my flip-flops on mm. the tile. 
and we walk up a flight of stairs and at the top of the stairs there was these beautiful little eyes beautiful brown eyes and a shaved head of this little girl um and she smiled at me and she beckoned me to come and follow her to show her where all the older girls were staying in all their bunk beds and got to walk in we played with them and we had a translator um to be able to share um, in their native tongue that they were precious and they were beautiful and they were worthy and they were so dearly loved by God above. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't a Christian orphanage or anything like that, um, but I was just going to let it rip because there's yeah, no chance. <laughs> that's right. Um, and, and you then, see yourself, right? Like you go oh, in glory. and you're seeing like, what would I want to hear? What would I want to experience right. if it was me? And so I right. love that you just took that opportunity to speak yeah. life over them. Because once upon a time, it was me. That's right. So after we spent time and played Ring Around the Rosie, is it Ring Around the Rosie, Ring Around the Posy? What am I trying to say here? That's is right, Ring Around Rosie? the Rosie. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank You're you welcome. That. Um, <laughs> we were ushered in to where the toddlers were, toddlers and babies and all their cribs, and they were all taking a nap. And that's when um, I went from dancing with five-year-old little girls and smiling and giving them hugs to um, I started to crack. And all these little babies were asleep, all these little ones. And one, um, about 10 minutes later, one had popped her eyes open and had lifted herself up on her crib and was standing at the edge. And she's looking at me like, come get me out of here. <laughs> um, so I motioned to the house mother, can I get her out? And she said, yeah. You know, she didn't say, yeah, but you get me. She motioned. Yeah. Yes. I said, okay, I'll take this as a yes. So I got her out and put her on my hip. And um, her delight turned to dread within about seven seconds Mm. and she was just screaming and crying and looking for something familiar and it just ripped open um the seal on everything I had kept underneath just that looking for somebody I'm looking for somebody I'm looking for somebody to fix this I'm looking for somebody to hold me and care for me and to be my savior in this Mm. I'm looking for somebody who I can trust and um and so I, I ended up handing her to the house mom after a few minutes because I started to cry. She was crying, and then I just doubled over. And I sound so dramatic, and I'm not meaning to sound dramatic. I apologize if that's what it sounds like. But if you were abandoned at, at birth and were walking into the orphanage where you left, you might be doubled over too, right? So I'm bent over, and I'm, I look over to my friend Lucy. She's, she's English, and I just I said to her, I can't do this. And she looked back at me in her most beautiful London accent, and she said, we can do this. We can do this. And it was so sweet. And so we just went from crib to crib and laid hands on every crib and prayed over every baby um, because I, I couldn't believe they'd be left for dead because I wasn't. I couldn't believe that God wasn't for them because I, at that point, I truly believed he was for me. And if he could do it for me, I believed he could do it for anybody, anybody who felt left and abandoned like nobody was coming for them. Hmm. So you might be hearing this and saying, well, you got adopted and you were there with kids who were still left in an orphanage. I'll tell you right now, a new last name or a marriage or a paycheck doesn't make it feel like everything's okay. Come on, how doesn't true. fix everything. The exterior doesn't fix the interior. Come on. Um, That's so there was right still there. Yeah, yeah, it it didn't fix the inside. Yeah. But being in that moment, um uh praying all over all those cribs and then we were there for a few hours and then we went back to our hostel and I just fell into my pillow and wept until I fell asleep and Lucy was there and just prayed over me until I fell asleep. And then when I woke up, she had a cup of tea. <laughs> and it was just a, it just was every 
part of me, emotional, mental, spiritual, physical. Um, it was just exhausted as you can imagine. And so I, uh, but in that moment, um, the Lord just brought to mind Ephesians three. And, uh, so many of us want, um, answers to our questions and answer. Why did this happen in my life? Why did God do this? Where was God here? And it's a love that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it talks about a love that surpasses knowledge. No amount of knowledge or answers to our questions is truly going to fix things. Because what if the answer isn't something you want to hear? Come on. But love, love, love that conquers fear, love that conquered death, love that raised the dead, um, that is something that can, that can truly heal the deepest, darkest, broken pieces of us. So the sheer, wild, mysterious, majestic love of God wrapped me up. And he reminded me that although it wasn't perfect and I was born out of um, such loss, and my story, especially at the beginning, was marked with, with, with such pain. Yeah. He was present and he was willing to walk with me through it. Although it happened, I wasn't alone. I yeah. wasn't alone when it happened. Um, fast forward a few years, uh, about, about a year and a half ago. Yeah, a year and a half ago, I got a Facebook message. So that was about, that was 10 years ago, by the way. That was 10 mm -hmm. years ago that I had the opportunity to do that. About a year and a half ago, I got a random Facebook message from um, an acquaintance and she said, Hey, this is so random, but. My college roommate, this gal's in her probably late 30s, she said, my college roommate's mom thinks she knows you and she thinks she knew you when you were in an orphanage in India and wow. she raised you. And I was like, what? And so, and then I said, what's her name? Because I knew the name of the person who had raised me in the orphanage. And uh, she said, Prem Gideon. Her name is Prem. And I said, oh my gosh, that, that's her. So a couple days later, I got to meet her at a Starbucks with Kingston, my biological gosh. son. And I walked into the Starbucks and this beautiful Indian woman walks in and she grabs my cheeks and she says, all I wanted was for you to know the life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I said, how did you remember me? You probably cared for hundreds and hundreds. She's like, oh, hundreds and hundreds of babies. But she's like, I never forgot you. I never forgot you. And we sat down at a Starbucks by the airport in Seattle. And for the first time in my life, I heard my origin story. And she said, you were brought at two days old. This is a year and a half ago, people. I didn't have, I don't have a baby picture. I don't have anything. I don't have any, I don't have any proof of that I existed in the beginning. No documentation. So it was a really beautiful thing to hear my story. And she remembered it so vividly. So she said, you were dropped off at, at two days old and wrapped up. And I... I had been praying, she said. I had been, I had this insatiable desire to care for a baby. And she's like, I had my own children who were a little bit older, um, upper elementary. And she said, I had obviously a, you know, an orphanage with, with plenty of children. Of, and a lot of them at that time were older kids. But she's like, the Lord gave me this heavy burden. I couldn't deny it. I'd wake up thinking about it for a baby. Hmm. And she said, and then a couple days later, you came to my door so she said the day you were born I had this de deep desire how wild for me who's felt you know the narrative of my life has been I look back and it was a crapshoot but God redeemed it right. but in that moment hearing her story the narrative for me changed it was no God was there from the beginning mm. from the minute 
from the minute of my birth, the Lord had already orchestrated a woman and given her a desire to carry me on her hip, to feed me in the night, to rock me to sleep. So she cared for me, prayed over me. I was hers until I was adopted um, at nearly two years old. And so getting to sit with her, um, it, you can imagine just how wild it was. And, and it, it was kind of silly. She kept going back and talking in Hindi and then in English. And I was like, girlfriend, you just gonna have to keep it in English here right now. Um, <laughs> and um, for Kingston to get to meet her, that was a really powerful experience with me because um, yeah. obviously it was a beautiful moment to adopt Jericho. And, and, and we were both left and abandoned and we became a family and then it was a, a completely different experience birthing Kingston because there I had a biological mother who didn't know that she had a biological grandson mm. and that was hard all over again yeah. um so to sit with this woman um who was there from my beginning it was really it was really a game changer for me to just I felt like Ashley the Lord pulled back the curtains on my life mm. and he revealed the orchestra and the and the stage hands and everybody working <laughs> to make it the masterpiece that it that it is, um, and I believe and I'm not saying my life's perfect. I am a mess, yeah. um, but God is so good yeah. and so present and so faithful to me, and um, His faithfulness is my confidence. Yes. His faithfulness is my confidence. His companionship um, is my peace. Yes. So. Um, I, I really feel like the experiences in my life, they haven't been the breaking of me. They truly have been the making of me. They have so made good. me so dependent on the divine. So, um, so in love and so taken by the God of the universe. So that's, that's a little bit about um, kind of where I've come from and what I've gone through. And, you know, as time goes on, we'll get into all the crazy other, you know, other stories that we all go through that's yes. wild of, you know, that happens, but truly, that's that's really been um, that's been how I've truly been shaped and molded in in my life and and God's hand in my life. Um, so when you think why Tiffany Bloom though, <laughs> um, why Tiffany Bloom though is because of a great and gracious God who goes after the one yeah. who was abandoned at birth, and He cares for her. And he sees her as she is, and he never leaves her a moment in her life. Come on, Tiffany. First of all, I know your story, and I cried like five times listening to that. So if, that's, <laughs> if you're listening, having the same experience because you're relating to different aspects, because you may not have Tiffany's story. Of course, it's so unique. It's so special. It's so beautiful. But what a beautiful reminder that you know, the messes of our life can be turned into something beautiful and God is not bound by space or time. Come on. And so he can redeem our past and he can give us a new perspective. Like they do say hindsight is 2020, but it's even better when you look with God's eyes because he Mm -hmm. reminds you that he's been there the whole time. Yeah. And Tiffany, you have an amazing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to add one little thing to that. Thank you for letting me pop in with this, but grace is retroactive. Like, on, just like it. Ashley said, I know all of our stories are so different, but I can guarantee you've struggled with loneliness or shame yes. or rejection because you have a pulse, my friend. You have a uh, pulse. Hello, you're human. Yes. Right. And to know that just the grace of God longs to redeem. He wants to leave no stone unturned. He wants to go in and, and heal and bring wholeness to each and every part of us. Yes. Well, tell us, Tiffany, because your first book and your first Bible study um, talk about so many of these 
these topics that came up as you were sharing your story. So can you tell us about that and where we can find it? Yes, yes, totally. Um, so my first book it came out in Bible study, came out February 2018 of this year. Um, and they're titled Never Alone because when you find the greatest companion of your life, you find that you truly aren't left to fight the hardest battles of your life, but you are never alone. So the book opens with my abandonment and really ends with um, a family. It ends with family and companionship with God and man, with God and others and friendship and, and, and truly a tribe. So um, I highly recommend you check it out. In the Bible study, it's Oh, it's so juicy and good. Mm-hmm. It highlights the women in the New Testament that Jesus encountered and how before he encountered them, they were alone, isolated by society, by their family. But at the end of it, they are courageous and they stand on their own two feet and they have the grace and companionship of Jesus Christ. And it really is just gives a greater understanding of not only a woman's place in the world today by looking back at the ancient scriptures, but it also just reveals how much Jesus cares for women who've gone through such hellacious things. So you can find that wherever books are sold, Amazon, Burns and Noble, Lifeway, um, christianbook.com, BAM, Target, Walmart, everywhere. It's amazing. Tiffany, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And we are so pumped to watch you continue to do all that you do and impact the people that you impact. And just on a personal note, as a friend, I mean, you have just loved me so well and you are a woman who practices what she preaches. And I'm so thankful to see integrity as a through line in your life the entire time that I've known you. And we are so blessed to be able to know you and hear from you today. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. It's my honor guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hey, listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.